it's really interesting that it worked that way around like you say I'm going to start that again because I've just told everyone that it's really interesting and they don't need to be told. (laughs) You're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome back. You are listening to a quarantined Henry Salmon and Rich Newnham, and you're listening to I Might Be Wrong, of course. Uh, how you doing, mate? Yeah, lockdown. Good, though. It's not too bad. It kind of feels like it's just carrying on from, from the last lockdown. It's all a bit, a bit quiet. Well, when we were recording the last batch of episodes, we did suspect that there was going to be some kind of lockdown, but it's actually been a bit lockdown light rather than full lockdown hasn't it because schools are still open and people are still going out and doing things and there's no restriction to just one hour of exercise or anything like that so yeah it's a bit it's yeah. a bit less restrictive yeah also this time of year people tend to have their head down and get stuff done before the holidays so right. it's um it's not too bad yeah it's okay i don't mind it but i mean my circumstances mean that i don't have to stress it too much it's not like i'm trying to commute into an office or i don't live in london anymore which i think is probably for the best while all this is going on i think for for now yeah whisper it quietly but yeah you can probably look smug um, <laughs> mate i always look smug you've met me <laughs> yeah, i don't want to it just happens it, it just happens yeah anyway i brought us not quite right up to date last week with The War on Drugs uh, from 2014. You've got a slightly older album that you want to bring to the table today. Yeah, I, I'm going to grab you and throw you right back into the, <laughs> uh, well, I guess late 80s and, and early 90s. Um, sorry about that. I know some people actually quite liked being brought right into the, the current. So um, uh, as soon as people started commenting and saying, oh, yeah, a recent album, um, I'm going to just throw a spanner in the works. But it's a good spanner. It's a, it's a Jurassic 5 shaped spanner. And I think it's probably worth talking about. Nice. Yeah, it's Jurassic 5 is a really interesting one for me because obviously I know their stuff ish I don't know them really well. I, don't, I definitely don't think I'm as big a fan of them as you. I got more into a tribe called Quest, and it always feels like there's almost two separate groups there of people who either love J5 or people who loved a tribe called Quest. But it's all very much the same New York rap scene that's very storytelling, it's pretty chilled, it's got quite a funky thing going on to it. Well, you're kind of hitting on the interesting part for me about Jurassic 5, which is that they're not an East Coast rap group. So they sound like the kind of old school new york mm-hmm. they've got that vibe that that we're we're used to from the 80s and they're influenced by like run dmc and all of those those old school groups but they're from los angeles so they're a west coast group and for me it was interesting to read up on them because i didn't really i didn't know that and they grew up in south central los angeles which okay is a pretty brutal place and mm-hmm. that's kind of the home of all this gangster rap and you had the crips and the bloods and it's a, a pretty mean place to be so in the middle of all of this in the late 80s jurassic 5 were were kind of emerging so it, it is weird because they do sound like a a lighter weight friendlier version of of hip-hop they're definitely not gangster rap they're not bragging they are telling stories which is why i always think about them in the same 
Vayner's Tribe Called Quest and, and groups like that. So tell us a little bit about Jurassic 5. Who, who are they? Yeah, so um, there, there are six of them, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there's <laughs> there's two DJs and four four guys on the microphone. You might know of a couple of them because they've done some collaborations. Um, Cut Chemist, uh, if you've heard of him, he's done collaborations with DJ Shadow. He's actually called Lucas McFadden. It's not actually his real name. And uh, who else? One of the MCs, um, Charles Stewart, he's Charlie Tuna. Probably heard of him. He's been with Black Alicious, Ozomatly, uh, Ugly Duckling. If you hear some Ugly Duckling stuff, if you know that, then yep. his voice appears. It's very distinctive. So they came out of the LA scene and they met. <laughs> they met in a weekly poetry night. Um, so there was okay. there there was there were club nights and MC and poetry gatherings going on in Los Angeles. There's, there was a club night called Rat Race, and these two distinct groups came together. So they're they're almost like a super group of these two groups of um, hip hop tribes, and they mm-hmm. they met in the middle and uh, they kind of hit it off. And they started off in what eighty nine, I think, and they recorded a single which didn't do very very well. They they recorded it in Cut Chemist's mum's house, and yeah, it, it, they sounded like they had quite a decent upbringing. So they got together. They definitely had parents' houses to record in. So the the band's named from charlie tuna's mum who said you're not like the fantastic five you're more like jurassic five um, as a kind of <laughs> funny joke and so the name stuck there so they do sound like a bunch of nice guys right and they've come out of the middle of south central but they didn't really get noticed or didn't go big in los angeles they were noticed in the uk okay and that's probably why we know about them so well so they came across the atlantic and started playing loads of gigs and festivals and the NME picked them up and they played all sorts of places like I don't know Dingwalls in Camden and mm-hmm. all of these smaller places and that's almost how they got noticed and on in the UK they released their um, Jurassic 5 EP and that EP just went went mad it went everywhere it was in my school mm-hmm. um, I've mentioned our the common room that I was part of at, at in our sixth form and there was a Jurassic 5 EP in there in what in the I guess late nineties, which is when the stuff was was coming out. So um, it's kind of weird that something that started off in South Central LA really really got going in the UK, and then the American press picked it up from the UK press, who were saying, "Hang on a second, we've got one of our own groups who's blowing up over in the UK," and so it kind of went back towards the states. Yeah, I love the fact that that worked that way around because we think about bands that are British bands that go over to the States and make it out there and then come back here and we find out about them later on and we're like, oh, they're English in the first place. But we never really think about it the other way around, that a US group would come here and get big here and then go back. But I I wouldn't be surprised by that because, I mean, we talked about this with Craig when he came on to talk about the London grime scene. In the 90s, hip-hop didn't really feel authentic in the UK. There was a lot of record labels trying to push some polished version of hip-hop that was UK hip-hop, but we didn't really have any of that stuff. So having an American rap group basing itself here and and doing that stuff, but in an authentic way where they've kind of started it themselves and they're doing their own thing, that doesn't surprise me as the way it grew into the UK market. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? You can see why they became more well-known here and why we know them. And why I've got them in my 
in my back catalogue. Mm-hmm. The other route they went down, which isn't a normal hip-hop route, is that they associated with the indie scene. So back in 98, they went on the Warp Tour. Now, if you if you know your punk and your, your Blink-182s and your Weezers, and they were all doing the Warp Tour. It was a, it was a guitar-led kind of noisy punk tour around America, and it was like a, a moving festival. And uh, they went on that. And I think through the Warp Tour, they got a huge amount of following just from indie fans who were saying, oh, actually, it's okay to, to listen to hip-hop as well. You can listen to both and like both. Well, that would have been a time as well. We've sort of covered this in the podcast in the past. There would have been a time there where people were very much their tribe of music. And I certainly was. During the 90s, I listened to Britpop and indie, and that, that was about it. Like, I didn't have an open mind to all these other things. And I suspect it's probably because you listen to very specific radio stations that played you the things that you were wanting to listen to, or you listen to Radio 1, and then you're getting the pop version of things rather than the real version. And so I could see that, where all of a sudden you're being shown something that's authentic and real and awesome. And and J5 stuff's so good that, you know, it's the kind of thing that will actually change your mindset towards some of that genre generally. Yeah, and it worked really well. And off the back of those tours, they really got quite big. The the original EP, the Jurassic 5 EP, has songs like Concrete Schoolyard, which... I love that if, song. If you, yeah, if you know Jurassic 5, it, it's probably one of their best songs. It's one of their mm-hmm. most well-known ones. It's why I was surprised that you didn't pick that EP to talk about. So the, the only reason you would pick that EP, I think, really, is because of Concrete Schoolyard, because it's not fully formed. It's only... There's only four real songs on there, and then there are five, six tracks which are, I guess, interludes, or they're kind of beats and scratching, and it's just, it's ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all recorded in, as I said, in in, in their mum's house somewhere. Very DIY. Very DIY. Like a lot of hip-hop was at that point, and, and probably still is for those underground scenes. Yeah, and it totally worked. But the reason I picked Quality Control, well, it's partly because... It's an album that I know really well, but it's also because it's a full album. It's got it's got a lot of fully formed songs on there. Mm-hmm. It's better produced. They were, did record it in a studio. So that's why I went with that. But yeah, the Jurassic 5 EP is, if if someone bought it back in the day and that was their first taste of, of hip hop, then that would be top of the tree. And I can, I'm sure there'll be people who, who say that. Fair enough. So you talked about the sick form college situation being where you'd heard that EP. Was that your first taste of J5 or was there a specific way that you found your way into them? Yeah, it was someone, someone had it. I, I, I guess friends in my school knew their music. I don't know where, who dredged that <laughs> up. Um, the, the only other reason they could have appeared is through Ozomatly. Okay. So Charlie Tuna raps for them and they are a, another group who are a bit more... They're, they're more of a kind of jazz outfit, I guess. And they played a lot of the festivals in the UK as well. So it might be through them that they became big. But yeah, for me, it was that that one CD where it all just kicked off. Yeah. I remember hearing some of the Ozomatli stuff back in the day. I couldn't tell you which track now, but certainly some cool stuff on there. And again, it's all part of that more laid back hip hop rather than the aggressive stuff that we associate with West Coast and, and gangster rap. Yeah. I mean, just going back to that, I kind of find it amazing that it's not. So if you've been through, I've, I've driven through South Central in a taxi. When? When I was like 
18 or something, 19, I was starting to see the world. Was that an LA hostel stay as part of travels? Yeah. You go past these buildings and there'll be like one with its door just as a massive plate metal door. And the cabbie says that's the local McDonald's. And they've just given up on re-putting in glass because it gets shot out so many times. So they've just like put these huge kind of metal doors on and things like the the trainers hanging over the telegraph wires. Yep. That's all true. Yeah. That's all where, you know, you get the kids with their new trainers in the gang and they get beaten up and all shot and they someone slings them over the wire to say, we got him, you know, all that stuff's there. And it's it's it must be super scary to grow up in a in a place like that. You've got to get hard pretty quick. So to not sing about that stuff and to sing about the happier things in life and to try and be positive must be really difficult. Yeah. All right. Well let's let's get into that. What on the album stands out for you uh so their sound in general is great so they've mm-hmm. got very good beats very good samples very good scratching the mcs share the load really nicely so they'll pass the songs and pass the verses between them mm-hmm. the album starts with um how we get along which is this kind of really nice bass riff it isn't almost a song it's almost an introduction right and then you go from this kind of gentle bass riff intro into the influence it's the next song and you've got this wonderful uh spoken word kind of bass line almost you've got this and it's it just starts to suck you in and and, and build a, an atmosphere so the atmosphere kind of builds through the whole album and then they just keep changing the style so then you've got the the song great expectations it's got horns in and it's like you've gone from a, a bass riff to some spoken word to some horns that the whole album just just builds and, and twists and turns and it's but it's all based on this this very simple premise of we'll do our scratching brilliantly our samples will be on on point the rapping will be brilliant the lyrics will be very tight and yeah, they, they just form this album effortlessly. Presumably a lot of that sampling would have been from 50s and 60s soul records that their parents would have owned. Exactly. Yeah, and if you, you read up on the interviews, that's where they got a lot of this this stuff from. Mm-hmm. And um, it's lovely. I mean, there's one of them. Um, I can't remember which which one it is. There's, there's almost um, somewhere towards the end. Actually, it's right at the end. I think it's Swing Set at the end. I might be wrong. But it's got this amazing jazz beat it they've, they've almost taken a mm-hmm. almost like jazz or jive soul record where they've just got this kind of amazing beat and they've just sampled that it's wonderful it's really clever stuff nice so there's a lot i mean it's a big album in terms of what you're talking about 15 16 tracks something like that on there and they're they're not short tracks they're all kind of four or five minute long tracks to me I've only listened to this album a little bit, but it it doesn't feel like a long album. It, you don't get bored. There's not too much. There's no filler. This is what I like about it. It's 54 minutes long, so it's not that long. Mm-hmm. But no two songs really sound the same. There's a song in there, so Concrete and Clay, the penultimate song, they riff back to Concrete Schoolyard mm-hmm. and they sing some of the lyrics again from there. And so if you miss Concrete Schoolyard on the previous album then it kind of comes out in this song. It's just very cleverly done, and and I don't think there is any real filler. It works because it, they keep trying different things on each of the songs. 
So they've got another couple of albums in the early to mid thousands after that. Are they albums that you got into or did you kind of move on to other things after this? Yeah, I bought Parent Numbers and it just didn't work mm-hmm. for me as much. Uh, I don't know why it is. I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I think it was the newness of, of quality control for me that yeah. something I hadn't experienced before that really hit home. And I think at that point, instead of going onto Power in Numbers and thinking, this is what I want to listen to, I started branching out into all of the wider hip hop world. As you say, Tribe Called Quest, Black Alicious, where, mm-hmm. you know, Charlie Chino again features in, in Blazing Arrow. Black Alicious, the alphabet. I can't remember. Alphabet Aerobics. Yeah, alphabet yeah, Aerobics. Yeah, that's right. That's an absolutely brilliant track. Yeah. It's, it's almost a shame that they've become really, really well known for Alphabet Aerobics because. It's a gimmick. I mean, they, they rap through the alphabet and everyone knows it. It's it's kind of gone into rap folklore, but there are so much better songs. There's a song called Deception. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know which Blackalicious album it is, but Find Deception, it tells a story of someone who gets rich and then becomes a bit of a dick. And, <laughs> and it's a story of someone getting too rich too fast and falling back down again. Listen to that song. I, I know we're talking... J5, but I don't think we'll ever talk about Black Alicious. So right. this is my one time to say, <laughs> listen to Deception from Black Alicious. It's one of the most wonderful pieces of songwriting ever in the hip hop world. Amazing song. And handily for our listeners, it's on the playlist. So just click go on that one right now. Exactly. So back to Jurassic 5. Yeah, their latest stuff, I guess, got glossed over just because I just started branching out into all of these other avenues of hip-hop so that kind of brings us on to another good area of discussion they brought you into hip-hop that's obviously a massive influence in terms of where you then went so what were the next other than tribe called quest blacklicious were there other specific areas of hip-hop you got into because of this or was it it was just the broader hip-hop world just the broader world ugly duckling as a Mm -hmm. a band of super and again again charlie tuna crops up on there too and i don't know whether it's him that i'm following around rather than the wider hip-hop universe but they again have this wonderful more light-hearted style and i think that's where my tastes have ended up mm-hmm. in the, the the lighter end of hip-hop the more kind of hopeful side absolutely and i think the majority of what i like in hip-hop is it's either the lighter side stuff that's a bit tongue-in-cheek, things that are clever, or it's the storytelling. And that can be light or it can be dark. I mean, we've talked about a number of things on the podcast in the past where it's a bit more of the gritty side, but it's that real gritty side rather than the gangster rap bragging stuff that I just... If you love gangster rap and you want to tell us why it's brilliant, drop us a line, come on the podcast, and we'll have a chat about it. Yeah. There's some really good music that's made in that area, but it's just nothing that I wouldn't choose to put it on over, mm-hmm. you know, a, a DJ format album, which is just just more fun. I love DJ format. Love DJ format. That's a great call. So in terms of tastes, yeah, that's that that's where it's led me. And you mentioned that they were doing a lot in the UK scene. Did you get to see them live? They kind of came over and became big just before I got into live music. So they came over here in the kind of it was the 90s i guess uh mid 90s mm-hmm. so just before i started going to gigs properly so I'm, i miss them so no i haven't seen them 
Yeah, it's one of those things. I don't think I've seen very much live hip hop except at festivals where you then obviously it's on the bill and you've got the opportunity to see a whole array of all sorts of different music. I don't know that I've seen that much going to gigs, events, that kind of stuff. It'd be really interesting. I I suspect that I'm far too old and white for that now, but (laughs) maybe I'll get the chance. Maybe Bristol's got a burgeoning scene that is going to be the next grime scene in the UK and I can uh, go and see some of that. Yeah, I I think I saw Ozzy Nice, probably at Glastonbury. And as I said, they're more kind of jazz, funk, reggae, a little bit more interesting and diverse right. with their styles. But no, no J5 for me, unfortunately. Ah, cool. All right. I think that probably wraps us up for this week. Yeah, I'm glad we brought them up because they do have uh, a pretty big place in my in, in my record collection. But also, I think if you were growing up in the 90s, and you like your indie music, you will have bumped into them. And I think that's quite cool. Mm-hmm. So I think they they are one of the original hip-hop bands to have made it big in the UK. So I think they need a, a hat tip just for that. Also, I mean, from your personal perspective, if they are what opened up hip-hop for you, that's a huge part of an influence for you. And that's the whole point of the podcast is what, what influenced our tastes. Exactly. So yeah. Go and listen to them. They're great. Yeah. we We both love them. Henry more than me, but we both love him. <laughs> cool. Cheers, mate. Cheers, buddy. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong. 